Um, our text this morning is a real straightforward one, which after the last couple of Sundays, you may be saying, thank God. Uh, we've really, we really had to dig deep into some culture and some grammar stuff. The last couple of weeks have been, uh, been a challenge, have been good, I, I think. Oh. Uh, but this morning, the text is really straightforward. That doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, sometimes uh, the more straightforward things are, the harder they are because we don't have any wiggle room. They're just, they're just right there, and that's kind of what we're dealing with this morning. Um, actually, I noticed uh, in our worship service, and then again, what, what Joanna shared, the idea of fear has been talked about a lot. You know, we're saying you're no longer a slave for fear. You think about that statement, that when we make that proclamation, I'm no longer a slave for fear. That does not suggest the absence of it. It just suggests the powerlessness, powerlessness. Of it, So that's, that's where we're at this morning. Uh, Mark chapter 10, beginning in the 32nd verse. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. They will deliver him to the Gentiles. They will mock him. They will spit upon him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he'll rise again. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we are blessed as a people. Well, Father, we have the freedom. We're conscious this morning of so many places in this world where the freedom that we enjoy, Father, to gather around and to worship and to read your word and to talk about the things of your kingdom, Father, uh, they're, they're only at great risk and great cost. So we want to be careful this morning to thank you for the freedom and the privilege that is ours. We know, Lord, that the greatest freedom we have is the freedom from sin, Lord. You're purchasing our freedom from fear, Lord. To the blood of your son. Ask you to bless our time, Lord, as we look to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So the text describes in very clear terms uh, Jesus and his followers. They're moving from an area east of Jerusalem. Then they may have been as far away as the other side of the Jordan. It's impossible to tell from the text. But they're moving from somewhere in the Jordan Valley, westward towards Jerusalem, up the incline that would have been necessary, Jerusalem being at some elevation, the Jordan Valley being below sea level. And as they're walking along, some things are happening. So I want to try to get the, the visual on this. Um, Jesus', Jesus followers are watching him, and what they're seeing is causing amazement and fear. So you get this idea. Jesus is walking. The text suggests he has separated himself by a short distance from his followers. They're following after him. And as they watch it, they're really having a hard time with what they're seeing. They're both amazed. We'll talk about that word a little bit. And they're fearful. And Jesus responds by calling the twelve and explaining to them in very clear terms what is going to happen. This is the most detailed description they've had to this point of exactly what's going to happen to Jesus um, in Jerusalem. And we're left to ask, what was it about what was happening in that moment, the way Jesus was acting, that the disciples found so amazing, and what exactly were they afraid of? What was the cause of this fear um, they were expressing? So one thing I would note um, is that Matthew and Luke also talk about this event. They talk about it with equal brevity. None of them devote just more than a few verses to it, but they're all careful to include it. And so it clearly was a key moment in the minds of the disciples. Um, Matthew, for example, uh, makes no reference to the disciples' amazement and fear, but has all the other details. And Luke uh, in chords, records in chapter 18 that when Jesus called them aside and explained everything to them, it didn't make any sense. 
They didn't understand any of it. But other than that, the accounts are very, very close. Only Mark, as we read this morning, includes a note about their amazement and fear. So what we'd like to do this morning is look at the passage and try to figure out exactly what it was that caused that amazement and fear and then ask the questions as we always do. What does this tell us about Jesus and what does that tell us about ourselves? So uh, to look at the text, verse 42, rather 32, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking on ahead of them and they were amazed. Those who followed were fearful. A couple of things stand out that you can easily miss. Jesus is walking on the road. Mark is very deliberate to include that. Now the significance of that is this. If you've been with us and if you've been following, you know that up to this point, Jesus has been making a lot of effort to keep things on the down low, right? Went way north out of Galilee to avoid the attention that he was, that he was gathering. He's been making very strong effort to get this alone time with the disciples, to spend time talking to them, keeping the crowds away. Now he is on a public road heading directly to Jerusalem. Like it's his 180 degree turn. It's like all of a sudden he doesn't care who sees him. He doesn't care what kind of attention. He's got this focus that he is going to Jerusalem and doesn't care if the whole world knows. That's one thing that has changed significantly. Right? Another thing that has changed is this understanding that's been building up with the disciples going all the way back to after chapter 8, verse 31, where Jesus had that great confrontation with Peter, you know, the dueling rebukes, they rebuked one another, right? That things are not going to end well in Jerusalem. What's going to happen in Jerusalem is going to be beyond their imagination. So that sense is growing as well. And for the disciples, and I try to put myself in their shoes, absolutely none of what is happening makes any sense. First of all, the idea that the Messiah, our Savior, the chosen one who was sent, the anointed one, would be handed over to his enemies and would suffer so and would die. That, that's you know, going clear back to what Peter talked about in chapter 8. That just doesn't compute. And now the fact that he's heading openly to Jerusalem where anybody can see it, he seems to be embracing this horrific end that he's talking about. I mean, and even, even if I grasped that, okay, the time's going to come when Jesus has to go to Jerusalem and die, he never said it was like right now. Right? Maybe like, you know, a year from now or 10 years from now, but now? So absolutely none of this is computing for the disciples, and as a result, they are amazed. The word is thambeo, thambeo, and it means to see something that absolutely arrests your attention. We've had some incredible sunrises and some marvelous sunsets this last week. Well, you know, those sunrises and sunsets that you see, and they go, oh, that's really beautiful, that's really nice. And then those ones that force you to just stop, like, whoa, pull the car over. I got to stop. I got to look at this. I got to process. I'll never forget, uh, many, many years ago, um, when I was stationed in eBay, you know, Coast Guard, all that good stuff, um, on July 4th, we fired off a whole bunch of fireworks. And one of the cool things about, about July 4th for the Coast Guard is you got all those expired pyrotechnics. You can't use them anymore. And you, we had like three years worth. We just, boom, doing all kinds of clubs. So much fun. Great 4th of July. And then the sun went down. And everybody went silent. It was as if God said, that's what you've got. Let me show you what I've got. And I will never forget that. And it just, everything stopped. Well, that's the positive side of this word. 
There's a negative side of this war too. Like when you turn on the television set and you see the horror that have gone on in Israel and Gaza and you see the suffering of horrible, unspeakable things done to children and you like when you pass a, you know when you pass an automobile accident that's so bad you can't help but look at it? It just demands your attention. That's what this word means. That's the kind of attention. That's the kind of shock that the disciples are in. And then it also says that they were afraid, foveo. That's where we get our word phobia from. And again, this is a fear that grabs you. It's kind of a parallel word to that word for a shock or amazement. It's, it's a fear that is so strong, it's disabling. It makes it hard to function. So Jesus' followers are, based on what we can see, they are so stunned so incapable of processing what they're seeing, so incapable of coming to terms with it, they're finding it harder and harder. Again, you're trying to get the visual. You're moving. Put yourself in that group. You're moving in from the Jordan Valley up this fairly significant incline toward the mountains where Jerusalem is located, and each step is getting harder because each moment is becoming more and more incomprehensible. It just doesn't make any sense. Now we all know as followers of Jesus what you're supposed to do when you're afraid. You run to Jesus. That doesn't work here. That's the problem. He's going somewhere in a direction I don't want to go. I mean if he's absolutely heart set on going to Jerusalem and dying, that's one thing. But I'm not sure I want to be standing next to him when it happens. Each and every step becomes more and more difficult. So how does Jesus respond? Well, verse 32 continues. He took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. He just gives them more detail about how bad it's going to be. They're going to beat him. They're going to spit on him. They're going to kill him. This, again, I put myself in that group. This is not helping. This is information. I've already got a lot of it, and what you're adding is not good. Now, there's a temptation here for us to say, well, only if they had hung on and listened till the end, when he said the raised in three days part. Well, let's be honest. If everything he else has said does not compute, the idea of the Messiah being handed over and being killed and being murdered and all this stuff. If that isn't computing, the idea of somebody raising from the dead, that's not going to make any sense either. And that's what Luke explains in his record of this event. None of this makes any sense to them at all. So they're afraid. They're fearful. You know, Scripture is so full of promises about peace. You know, Old Testament he will keep in perfect peace he whose mind is stayed on him. That's a great promise. John 16, 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, said in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have tribulation. Isn't that a great refrigerator verse? You know, that's when you put on a three-by-five card and stick up there so you won't forget it. In this world you will have tribulation. It's a promise. But take courage, I've overcome the world. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Throughout scripture we have these tremendous promises, we have instruction, we have assurances of peace. Add to that all of the instructions, do not fear, fear not, you know. And here we find the disciples doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. 
and following Jesus, right? That's the drill. That's what you're supposed to do. Doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, and yet they find themselves terrified. Walking up out of the Jordan Valley to the unspeakable. And frankly, Jesus' words at this moment don't really help. What a place for a follower of Christ to be. What do I conclude from this? Well, the first thing that I conclude from this is sometimes following Jesus is scary. Sometimes following Jesus is frightening. Again, John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation. Right? Tribulation, that's a word that means to be pressed, right? We're pressed. We're pressed because we're pressed between a world that stands in direct opposition to the things of the gospel, the things of Christ, and the call of Christ upon our lives. We're pressed by the, by the differing demands of, of family and job and, and our relationships. We're pressed by the reality of a call to holy living and at the same time struggling with our own weaknesses, failures, and crimes. We're constantly pressed. In this world, you will be pressed, and when we're pressed, we're fearful caught between opposing forces in our lives. And the promises of, the, of Scripture and the realities of life in this world, sometimes that presses us. On top of that, Jesus calls us to do stuff that just doesn't make sense all the time. And many times it seems impossible. I have found that very, very seldom will the call of God result in what the Greeks used to call a no-duster. That phrase goes back to the ancient Olympics when the, when the wrestlers would compete on a dust floor. And every now and then, one of them would be so lopsided, one wrestler would be so much better than the other one that they'd start the match and it would be over. And it wasn't even enough to raise any dust, right? It's called a no-duster, over before it started. Seldom in my walk with Christ have I ever found a time when something he called me to do qualified as a no-duster. It's almost always been a challenge that called me to go beyond what I thought I could do, where I didn't necessarily have a lot of confidence it was going to turn out well. But that's what he called us to do. In fact, it's always a challenge. So in fact, and sometimes, sometimes the more we understand of the challenge, the more difficult it is. Okay? I've, sh I've shared before when Pastor Joyce and I were, were, were called to go to Huna. There was that point in time when she said to me, she said, you know, this is, because I didn't come from a faith background. I didn't come from a ministry background. She said to me, you know, this is easier for you because you have no idea what you're getting into. She said, I know what we're getting into. And it was, right? And, and that came back to me when we left Huna. And I don't know if it was spiritual insight or just the obvious dawning on me that this is going to be a lot harder next time because I'm going to know what I'm getting into. Yeah, it's been true. Um, sometimes the more we understand of something, the, it doesn't make it any better, right? When we first come to Christ, it's joyous. The weight of sin is lifted off of our shoulders. And that's how it should be. That joy of knowing that my sins are paid for. I have an eternal home in the presence of my Savior. What a joyous thing that is. And the price of that hasn't really set in. The words of Bonhoeffer who said, when Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. But in time, if our pursuit of Christ is honest, that changes. We start to understand that. The words of Jesus, 
Matthew 7, 13 and 14, when he said, Enter the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and, way, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. There are few who find it. The way is narrow. It's another word for pressing in. Feeling. The different things that, that press in upon us. The desire to follow the calling of Christ, to serve Christ, and yet realizing the consequences of a decision like that. The challenges of a decision like that. And the difficulties that that will invariably entail, and it presses in on us. It's hard. It's narrow. Sometimes the more clearly we see things, the more frightening that it can be. So responding to his call can be scary. And I don't, I don't pretend to know what God calls any one of you to. I don't have that spiritual gift. I'm not at all convinced I want it. Right? I'd rather just, you know, focus on what he's called me to. Got my hands full with that. But I'm going to bet you know what he's calling you to. You know what God is speaking to your heart about doing or being. He may simply call us to a deeper walk, investing more and come to more and more knowledge of him, greater communion with him. That's a challenge. Investing the time, the energy, the focus. But if you look in your heart and honestly ask, what is he calling you to do? There will always be a first step. It may be that, because I don't know everybody here, it may be that you've not, making that, you've not made that first step. That first step of trusting in him for salvation. Accepting the offer that he makes. Acknowledging the price he paid on the cross was for you. Accepting that and stepping into a life of faith, trusting in him. That's a call. I encourage you to make it. And if you're in that place this morning, you're sensing that call, talk to Pastor Joyce and I afterwards. We'd love to talk to you. Maybe he's calling you to something specific. We've been talking a lot about that lately. A call to assist in youth. What a tremendous calling that is. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a financial call. We've been talking about responding you know, to the financial needs of the church. That is a tough one to respond to. If you've never committed to regular support of a church, that is a challenging call. And it can be a fearful thing. But ask yourself, is that what God's calling you to do? It may be a prioritization of relationships. He wants you to change some things. It may be a conversation that God is calling you to have with a loved one or a coworker or a friend. You've been putting it off because you're afraid. It may be an area in your life. Maybe it's a sin. God's calling you specifically to address that. You're afraid. You're maybe afraid of failure. I'm going to try to address that area of sin. I may fail. But there's also the fear of being successful. There may be an area of, of sin in, in, in my life, and God calls me to address that. And to be honest, maybe I don't want to be successful over it. I've gotten quite comfortable with it. Thank you very much. That can be as fearful as success. But that's what he calls us to. It starts with salvation, but it never ends. We saw this incredible event back in Matthew 10, 21. Chris Smith talked about it. The rich young guy that wanted, to, wanted, wanted an assurance of eternity, and he came to Jesus and said, what do I need to do? And they talked back and forth, and finally in, in verse 21, Jesus said this. He said, one thing you lack, 
great news. I've only got to do one more thing I need to do, and I'm in. Wow, that's really good stuff. Go sell, and sell all you possess and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And then he said this, come, follow me. That's the hard part. Spend the rest of your life following me. Going where I go, doing what I do, saying what I tell you to say. Give the whole thing to me. That's the hard part. That's the hard part. Following Jesus is not easy. But he empowers us to do it. That's a promise we have. Following Jesus can be scary. The more the stronger our commitment to that simple act, typically the more frightening it is. But here is the really good part. Here is the best part. I'll end with this. When we are following him, when we are responding to his call, whatever he's calling us to do, it may be something massive, it may be something that looks small, it may be something immediate and short-term, it may be something about the rest, it doesn't matter. Whatever he is calling us to, the one thing you will never hear Jesus say is, I'm right behind you. No. No. He's in front. He's always in front. And he never calls us to go anywhere that he hasn't already been, he doesn't know the way, and he has not prepared for every eventuality. When I know that, that no matter how difficult this thing that he puts before me, this call of mine, when I know that, that Jesus has gone before, he's prepared the way, and he's ready for every eventuality, that is where my peace comes. That's where I find peace. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And Father, I am so glad for the reality of your word. Mark was not in the least bit hesitant, as far as we can tell, to write down, we were scared spitless. They were. Lord, that's so good for us to know because when you speak to our heart about stuff, sometimes we look at it and we go, I don't know, Lord, that's awfully hard. I don't know, Lord, that could blow up in my face. Lord, I'm just not ready to handle a bunch of teenagers, Lord, or whatever it else you're calling me to. But, Lord, we, first of all, we want to thank you, Lord, for counting us faithful. The very idea that you would call us to be participants in what you are doing and the eternal consequences of what it is to respond. Father, that's mind-blowing. The privilege that's ours. Wow. But, Lord, this morning we really do want to focus in on that part where our hearts sometimes weigh us down and our thoughts are not doing us good service because all we think about is the dangers, the risks, the fears. So we say thank you, Lord, that you always go before us. And with that confidence, Father, we will follow. We can follow you, Lord. Help us to that end by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord this morning.